Well, this morning we want to spend a few moments uh, looking at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. This is um, a passage describing Jesus, describing uh, things about Christ that probably if we didn't have this passage, we wouldn't know. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. May God bless the reading of His Word. There's an old saying that says you can tell you're in a church of Christ when the song leader announces the number of the song and then adds first and last verse only, please. Those of us who've grown up in churches of Christ, that's very familiar language to us, isn't it? And most of the time, it works okay. Most of the time, you can do that, and the song still makes sense. I hear that it infuriates hymn writers, by the way, for us to do that, because they worked as hard on the third verse and the fourth verse as they did the first verse, So, uh, but I don't know. However, sometimes we get in trouble doing that because the song itself doesn't make much sense unless you sing all the verses. I remember as a kid, uh, we always had a closing song followed by a closing prayer. And since the sermons lasted about 45 minutes to an hour, we could try that today. If you, <laughs> you kids don't have anywhere to go, do you? But we were usually running late. And so the song leader would jump up on the stage and, and say, all right, let's just sing the first verse of whatever. Well, we had a song leader that one of his favorite songs was Now the Day is Over. And so we would sometimes sing the first verse of Now the Day is Over. Now, if you've ever read the first verse of Now the Day is Over, what you're basically saying is the day's over and it's dark. Not a lot of meaning to that. I mean, you know, it's true, but it's not really something to be. And then other songs kind of tell a story. And if you begin skipping around verses, you're going to miss part of that story. Does anyone remember the old song, None of Self and All of Thee? Yeah, that's a verse, that's a song that you have to sing every verse, don't you? Or it doesn't really make any sense. Because the first verse says, Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Well, then the second verse begins to tell the story of this person's coming to Christ. When it says, yet he found me and I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree. And my wistful heart said faintly, well, some of self. And some of thee. But then the third verse. Day by day his tender mercy 
healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower until I whispered, less of self and more of thee. And then the last verse just brings it home, doesn't it? In the last verse you say, higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. Problem with that is, I have trouble singing that last verse. I don't know that I'm there yet. First verse, I know. Second verse, yeah. Third verse, I'm getting there. It's kind of like when we sing, all to Jesus I surrender, Lord, all to thee. I, get, uh, I say, Lord, I hope you know I'm trying, even though I'm not quite there yet. Well, the reason we're talking about this is because what I read over here out of Colossians is a song. Uh, Paul did this quite a bit in his letters. As he was writing to these churches that were struggling with issues and trying to understand things, he would oftentimes quote one of the songs that they sang in worship to them, hoping that maybe for the first time they'd hear the words and realize what their faith was really all about. And like I said, several times he did this. He did this in the Philippian letter in what we call the Christ hymn. And this is another hymn about Jesus because the Colossians were being faced with the problem of teachers telling them, you know, Jesus is okay as far as he goes, but you need more than Jesus. You know, you can get deeper than just having Jesus in your heart and Jesus as your Lord. And so as Paul is going to address that issue, he says, you know that song you sing? Well, he doesn't say that, but they know that song. And he begins to quote the song about the Christ. Now, I have to make a confession here, is when I read this song to you, I only read the first two verses. And there's a third verse. And for the song to really be meaningful, we have to sing the third verse as well as the first two. So what we're going to do is briefly run back through, I hope briefly, Brian, I, I got a little long-winded in first service, but y'all don't worry, uh, I learn from my mistakes, okay? Anyway, we're going to run back through the first couple of verses and see what it is this song is saying about Christ, and then see what the third verse has to say. First verse is about re the relationship between Christ and God and creation, how Jesus is related to both God and to the creation. He talks about it being the image of the invisible God. Now, this is something that we learn from the gospel writer John as well, don't we? In the very beginning of his gospel. And he talks about that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And here Paul tells us, you know, he looked just like God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That was one of the purposes of the incarnation, is that God wanted us to see who he really is. Because God is, is something so far beyond our way of thinking and our ability to understand that we really have trouble forming a proper image of him and understanding who he is and particularly how to live our lives in a godly way. Because the question really is, well, if God were a person, how would he do this? Well, Jesus came to show us that. He came to answer that very question. That if I were a person, which I was, this is how I would do this. 
So as we read the stories about Jesus, you know, I sometimes say, wow, wouldn't it have been great to actually have walked along with him and been able to watch him interact with other people and handle situations so we would know how God would do that? But I think I'm blessed that I was not with him because, you know, a lot of those guys really struggled with this idea that Jesus was really the Son of God. And yet whenever, after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, when they came to full faith, that's when they began looking back and said, oh yeah, you know when he did that, that's the way it should have been done. That's the way God would have done it. So we can look over their shoulders, and thankfully they wrote down these stories, and we can understand then how God would live as a person because he did it. In thinking about that, I thought, well, you know, maybe I could give a couple of examples. So I just opened my Bible and let it fall open, and it fell open to Luke chapter 5. And I began reading a few little stories about Jesus. And I want to share a couple of those things with you, things that I would not know about God necessarily had Jesus not shown us this and had not been the image of the invisible God. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, a very short little passage, two verses. Jesus is walking along, and Levi, we think is also Matthew, Levi is sitting there. He's a tax collector. People back then hated tax collectors. Today we love them. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, it was a different kind of hate because tax collectors back then were thieves too, and they were working for the Roman government. You know all that. They, they were just despicable people to the Jews. Well, here's Levi, a Jewish man who had sold himself out to be a tax collector, and Jesus walks by and says, you, I want you to be one of my followers. Come and follow me. And the religious people with Jesus were just outraged. What? You know, you're calling this guy? You're going to go eat with this guy? What about us? You know, when I read that, there's several lessons we can take from that, but what I come away with that I learned about God from that little story is that we all don't look much different to God. You know, we're really good about picking out differences among ourselves. Who's better looking? Who's cooler? Who's smarter? Who's wealthier? We can, we can pick out all these other things. You know, who's more educated? All these things really matter to us. And we kind of structure our social circles based on the differences among us. And yet, from God's standpoint, we all look pretty much the same. We're all broken. We all hurt. We all make mistakes. We're all in need of His mercy and His grace. I think about this passage sometimes when I'm out running because my little route that I've been taking lately, I run past three red ant beds all in a row. And I run early in the morning and the red ants are just out and, you know, starting to go out and do whatever red ants do all day. And they're all crawling along and I look down at them as I go by because I don't go by that fast. <laughs> I can <guess. laughs> Yeah, there they are. And you know what? They all look alike to me. And I wonder if when they go back in that little hole, if they pick and fight at each other, if they have like, well, you can't come over here because we don't look like us. And, you know, I wonder how they perceive one another. I know they probably don't think, but you don't know that, do you? Anyway, 
But to me, they look all pretty much alike. And I think God sometimes shakes his head at us as we turn away from others and treat others in a way that's not very godly because we think they're different than we are. They're not quite up to our standards. And yet God looks at us and says, you know, I can't tell much difference. I wouldn't have known that about God without Jesus showing us that. A couple of other ones. Luke chapter 6, just keep on reading there. And Jesus is in the synagogue and a man has a withered hand, a paralyzed hand. And, And Jesus has been healing people and everybody thinks Jesus will probably heal this guy, except it's on Saturday, the Sabbath, the holy day. And you're not supposed to do that. On the Sabbath day. I always think it's funny. Who could make the rule? No miraculous healings on the Sabbath. Like, like who does that apply to, you know? But anyway, they, they felt like that would be work and he couldn't do it. He did it anyway. And I learned from that that people are a lot more important to God than rules are. Yeah, that people are what's important. And sometimes we can make our rules and we can have our ways that we're going to do things and we just can run right over people with those rules. And I got the amen from Bob. You know, helping agencies can do that really well, can't we? Well, we establish our rules. This is how we're going to handle this. And, and that doesn't apply to all people, does it? And sometimes, but we do it in our lives too. We do it in our lives. And I appreciate Rust Street. They're committed not to doing that. That is a part of Bob's heart is that we're going to put people above just who we are and what we're doing. And thank you for doing that. Yeah. All right. That's right. Luke chapter seven. I got to hurry. I'm getting long winded again. The widow of Nain. Jesus sees a funeral procession. Now you tell me when you're driving along and you stop at a stop sign and here comes a funeral procession. What do you think? Yeah, I know. Me too. Jesus sees a funeral procession off in the distance, and he could easily turn and go a different way. It's not anything to do with him. He doesn't want to be delayed in his trip. He could get out of it, but he's drawn to it. He's drawn to this widow's sorrow, a woman who had already buried her husband and now is burying her only son. And he goes... And restores that son to her. And I learned from that that God is drawn to our sorrow. That he doesn't turn his head and face away from us whenever we're hurting. But rather that's when he comes to us. If you can say about God in this way, that's when he goes out of his way to come to us and make sure that he's there. All right, so all these things. Just someday, you know, it's, it's really fun to read the Bible. And it is fun to read the Bible. It's fun to read the Bible with an agenda in mind sometimes. I know sometimes it's good just to open it up and let it speak to you, whatever it's saying. But sometimes it's fun to ask a question and then read the Bible to discover what the answer to that question is. So sometimes read a gospel with the question, what does God look like? What would God do? What would God do if he were a human being? I think you'll be surprised what you'll learn about God with that question in mind. Quickly moving on. This hymn says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that Jesus was actually born like we were born. Jesus was not created even like Adam was created. What he's talking about is the firstborn. He is like the eldest son in preeminence and supremacy. In the ancient family, the firstborn stood right by the father 
And he had really as much authority as the father. He was going to inherit what the father was going to give to the family. So that's what he means by this, that he is overall creation. He is the most important thing in all of the universe. And in fact, he goes on and gives some details. And some of the things he tells us are things that unless we really pay attention, well, John tells us a little of this, but we don't, wouldn't really know these things about Jesus. He says he's the agent of creation. Did you pick up on that when we were re- singing the song all ago, or I was singing the song or reading the song? That all things were created by him. You know, that God used him as the agency of creation. Now, you don't learn that in Genesis. That's why we need the New Testament to reveal a lot of what's going on in the Old Testament. But God created the heavens and earth, yes, but he did it through Christ, through his son. And then he also, he created all things for him. You ever lie awake at night sometimes thinking, what's this all about and who am I? There's your answer. You were created for the glory and praise of Christ. You were created for God's son. You were created to bring him honor and to bring him praise. Then he goes on to say, he holds all things together, holds all creation together. I love to watch shows like Nova on PBS when they're exploring the universe. It just boggles your mind what's going on out there, you know? How does all that work? Well, Paul's got an answer in this song. Jesus, he holds it together because he exists. That's why the whole universe continues to function and work as it does. All right, well, that's the first verse. Second verse, quickly. Relationship of Christ to redemption. He brings up the word firstborn again. He says he's the firstborn also from among the dead. Now, that assumes you know that death came into the world. I think most of us are aware of that. This church has been tremendously aware of that this particular week. Well, how did that happen? Well, you know the story. We rebelled against God. We pushed him away. We decided we could handle things ourselves, that we really don't need him. We've got other things to work on, other things to do, and we'll just take care of matters ourselves. And that kind of rebellion, that sin, brought death into this world. And God hates death. He didn't mean for us to die in any way. He didn't mean for his creation to die away. And so, therefore, to do something about that, He sent his son, and doesn't it make sense that the one through whom creation came into being is the one that's going to come and recreate it and renew it and redeem it and bring it back to life? So therefore, he's the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one to ultimately conquer death. And he therefore is able then to bring through his cross us back to God restore peace, and to reconcile not just people, but all creation. We could spend a long time talking about that. And now he is the head of the body, the church, those of us who have heard his voice, those of us who have been brought by his body and his resurrection back to God, and those of us now that live for his praise and glory, he is our head, he is our leader, he is our source, he is our strength. Now, we learn a lot about Jesus there, don't we? Okay? Firstborn of creation, firstborn from the dead. What's the third verse? 
Let's look quickly at what Paul says. And while the first two verses were probably traditional songs that the early century church, first century church sang, we think Paul wrote the third verse. That's okay. Here's what he says. What all this means to us. And here's how he says it. Come on, there we go. Once you were alienated. And we've been talking about creation and the universe. Now let's talk about you. Once you were alienated from God. Anyone here ever felt like God was a long ways away from you? Well, if that's you, this is you. Once you were alienated from God and you were even enemies in your mind. You may not have thought of yourself as such, but that's what you really were because of your evil behavior. Now, I don't particularly like that verse because, yeah, you know, I've done some things that I shouldn't do, but I wouldn't call it evil. Well, maybe I ought to. (laughs) You know, we're really good at kind of excusing our behavior as, well, it's not that bad, without realizing the consequences that we bring into the world and bring into our relationship with God. So Paul says, you need to realize that you needed Christ. That you're not going to make it without Christ, the Christ of creation, the Christ of redemption. This is your song, and you need to sing it because you have been alienated from God. You have been God's enemy because of the way that you acted. goes on to say then, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He came and he faced the problem. He faced the problem that we human beings brought into this world. He suffered the price, paid the price, and conquered death. And therefore, you can now be presented as holy in his sight, in the sight of God, without blemish and free from accusation. No matter what the tapes that play in your head are, I've got a lot of conflicting tapes in my head. I've got tapes that tell me I'm a terrible person, I'm a failure, I don't do this right, I don't do that very well. Then I've got tapes that play that says, well, you're not any worse than anyone else. You're okay. In fact, you're a lot better than a lot of these folks around here. Do you all have those two tapes that play back and forth too? Well, here's the tape we ought to be playing. I'm as bad as anyone else, but I've been forgiven. And through the power of Jesus Christ, I now can stand in the presence of God, holy, without blemish, and without accusation. And you can sing that song too. Finally, if you continue in your faith, don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of this worldview of who Christ is. Don't leave this assembly after hearing this song and forget that Jesus Christ is in charge of the universe and Jesus Christ is your Redeemer. That needs to be what shapes your actions and your thoughts and the decisions that you make. That's what faith is. Faith isn't just some little article you've got filed away in your brain. It shapes how you live your life. And you to live your life in the presence of the mighty Christ who created us and also redeemed us, who has established in firm faith and not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. We can't live without hope. Let me tell you how hope serves us well. Hope serves us well when things are going wonderful. I like Dan's story about a couple of weeks ago when his whole family got together. There probably is not much better times in life than that, is there, Dan? But you know what, Dan? There are even better times coming. Whenever things are going well 
and God's rejoicing with us and we're rejoicing, we can think, wow, as good as this is, it's going to get even better. That's what hope is. And of course, hope also is those times when things are awful and terrible. And we begin to say within ourselves, things can never be good again. And hope tells us, yes, they can. They will be. They will be better than anything we've ever experienced in our lives. This is the gospel that you have heard. That is the good news. I think Paul wrote this as an invitation song to be sung at the end of a worship where those who perhaps have come in with out Christ with them or come in having left the side of Christ. And the invitation is to return to that faith and to reclaim that hope. Let's stand and sing.